You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning. Like Kari said, we're in the second week of a series called Art of the Question. And the first question you should be asking is, who is this guy and where is Tim? Okay, Uh, those are great questions to ask. And uh, my name is Doug. I serve on staff as one of our pastors. And I'm so thankful I get the chance to be together with you this morning. Um, Unfortunately, Tim and his family are facing a challenging situation. And it became clear yesterday afternoon that he needed to be with his family today instead of with us. Tim and his family have wrote a letter that I would like to read to you to start our time. Dear Severe Heights, please be in prayer for our family. My mom has been battling in the hospital since Thursday, October 19th. She has a lung disease, which for several years has existed, and she recently developed pneumonia. Waiting is so difficult. I know many of you know this too well. Our family is in the middle of waiting, and we're holding on to hope. Here's what I know about waiting. Waiting isn't something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting isn't an excuse to face reality, and waiting doesn't shirk responsibility. Waiting is the process of becoming who God wants us to be. Waiting is the painful act of clinging to God. Simply put, waiting is the hardest dimension of hope. But we know God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When you are troubled, we will be able to give you the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for praying for us. We love you and we know how much you love our family and my mom. Because of your love, it never feels right to say this. And I'm sorry that we don't know how to say it with more sensitivity, but we know many of you would like to visit mom in the hospital. But instead of coming to the hospital, we ask that you would simply please pray. Tim, Jenny, Elon, and Silas. Can we honor our pastor's family's wishes and pause and pray together right now for his mother? God, we know that you are good and you do good, but this does not feel good. Father, we know no one in this world loves Miss Paula more than you do. You have loved her from eternity past. You will love her for eternity in the future. But right now on this earth, in this moment, there is a room full of people There is a lifetime of people who deeply love her and right now are scared and sad. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do in a way that only you can do it. So when it's all done, only you get the glory. God, we thank you so much for the doctors, the nurses, the medicine, and the hospital she's in right now. They are gifts from your hand, but God, you are in control. So we don't place our trust in those things, but we are thankful for them. We place our trust in you and you alone right now, Jesus. God, we just pray for Brother Holly, that you'd fill him with a peace that passes all understanding. We pray for the entire Miller family, that they would rest in you and lean into each other right now. God, we'd ask that you do this 
in your name and your name alone, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm not certain how to move from that moment to our sermon, but I know Tim really well, and I know that if he was here, he'd want to make sure that we spend the rest of our time together looking at and learning from Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at a particular question that Jesus asked some of his best friends in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it on, open it up, go to Matthew 16. And while you do that, let me tell you a little bit of the story about how I ended up right here in front of you this morning. Um, My family and I went out yesterday evening. We were going to go over to West Knoxville, have a a dinner, do a little bit of shopping. And we were on Pellissippi at Westland Drive and Tim called. And he said, Doug, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to, to say, but I need you to speak in the morning. And I said, absolutely, of course. I hung the phone up. And in that moment, I experienced something that pastors call Saturday night fever, okay? I felt fine. I picked the phone up and then I was really sweaty, thought I was gonna throw up and might pass out, all right? Once those feelings passed, I did what you hope your pastor would do and I prayed. And I said, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to speak about. I don't know what you want me to do in the morning for your people, for your glory and for their good. But if you show me what to do, I'll do it. By the time we made it to uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, I called the worship team. I said, hey, I'm going to be in in the morning. I'm going to teach Matthew 16, the one question Jesus asked his disciples. That's all I knew. I said, I don't know the points. I don't know what, but I know that question is what we're going to talk about today. And that is sort of how we got here. And what I'd like to do is start with having you reflect on a time when you answered a question or a series of questions that have impacted your life. It might've been a singular question. It could be this, will you marry me? And your answer to that question fundamentally changed everything you knew about life. But more than likely, if you haven't had that experience yet, you have had the experience of sitting down and taking a test that impacted your future. If you're a doctor, you took a test and you passed the board. At least I hope you passed the board. If you're a lawyer, you passed the bar. If you're a contractor, you got your builder's license. If you're a teacher, you passed the practicum. If you're like me and grew up here in the state of Tennessee, you took the TCAP test. I'm a TCAP rock star, okay? I don't know what this Tennessee ready stuff is. TCAPs all the way, right? TCAPs for life. The reality is all of us have taken a test at some point in our life. And how we did on that test determined or impacted something about our future. Tests are pretty simple. They are simply questions you have to answer. And today we're going to look at sort of what is like a pop quiz between Jesus and his disciples and see how their answer impacted them in that moment and still impacts us today. So let's start in Matthew 16 in verse 13. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human beings. 
Well, this is uh, a simple text, but there's actually a lot going on. And I think if we understand the context, sort of the, the situational, we have some situational awareness around what, what it was like when Jesus asked his disciples this question, it might actually help us understand and imagine the situation better. So first off, they're in a town called Caesarea Philippi. See verse 13? They're in the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is a complicated city in the Roman Empire. Some cities are well known because they're centers for trade routes, okay? So we have places like Philippi. It's a center for a trade route. Some cities are well known because they're ports or maybe communities like Crete where Titus was the pastor. Caesarea Philippi was not that. Caesarea Philippi was a little off the beaten path. It was kind of like a retreat area. As a matter of fact, we think Jesus and his disciples went there because he had just fed thousands and thousands of people and he needed some time alone with his guys. So he kind of goes away to this place called Caesarea Philippi. But this city has a very confusing religious background. If it's not a place of economic or military crossroads, it's a place of religious crossroads. What the city was known for is a particular cave that still exists today. You can go to Google, you can look at it, you can go there and see it at some point. It's called the Cave of Pan. Pan is a little Greek mythological god. He's half goat and half man, and he runs around and he plays a pan flute, right? He is the god of nature. They believe that Pan was born and dwelled in the cave in their city. That's what they were famous for. In addition to that, it's called Caesarea Philippi. Guess who that's named after? Augustus Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire. And they built this huge temple where you could go and worship Caesar. So in this town, you have a center for Greek mythology and worship. You have a center for Roman uh, religion and worship. In addition, in the Old Testament, this community was known as a center of worship for a God named Baal. Baal was sort of the antithesis of Israel. It, he was the one that Israel kept going and worshiping, the God of the Canaanites, and he used to get them in so much trouble. And this was an epicenter of where people used to worship Baal. In addition to that, if you went there, there were tons of idols all over the ground. Little stone idols, probably about the size of this water bottle, and they just littered the floor. They were around the cave, they were on the city, because they were so concerned. Maybe there was a God they didn't know about. So they prayed to the God of weather or fertility or name any other thing. So basically, this is a city with a very complicated background. Can I say it this way? This is a messy city filled with messy people. And this is a messy question asked to some messy Guys, I need you to remember that when Jesus asked this question to his disciples, they didn't have it any more together than you and I do. As a matter of fact, right before this moment, they just had to have Jesus sit down with them. He goes, do you still not get it? I mean, how many times have I fed thousands of people and you don't understand that bread is so much more than bread? So if you go, man, I really don't understand the Bible that well. They didn't either. And they were walking around with Jesus. So this setting is a messy city filled with messy people. And this is a messy question asked to some messy guys. So Jesus asked them in verse 14, he says, he says, who do people say I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist. Now, the reason they say John the Baptist, John had just been in prison and executed. 
And Jesus had so much power and influence, it was thought by some of the Roman leaders, man, is John come back from the grave or maybe we killed the wrong person? Because whoever this is, we thought John was powerful and had influence, but this Jesus, he has even more. So some people thought, well, maybe you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah because you're this like great prophet who's coming and making clear who God is and what it's like. Or maybe one of the other prophets like Jeremiah, or someone else in the Old Testament, because you're telling us that we need to get right with God in our life. And Jesus takes their answer and he presses in just a little bit harder. It's like a bruise and he wants to see how deep it goes. So he pushes. And in verse 15, it says, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And you have to realize in this setting, I want you to picture this moment. Here's Jesus. His 12 disciples are in front of him. And on this side, there's a cave where Pan dwelled. And on this side, there's a temple where you can go worship Caesar. And all in front of you are remnants of altars and stone idols. And he goes, wow, this world has a lot of options about what you commit your life to, about what you're going to choose to serve, about what you're going to give control of yourself to. Who do you say I am? And it's in that moment when he asks his 12 friends, one speaks up. It's a plural question and we get a singular answer. What we see is we see that Peter jumps to answer in front of the other men. You know, I don't know if you remember taking too many one question tests in your life. They're very intimidating. I had one my sophomore year of college. I was in World Civilizations II, 1500 to the present. I had Dr. Ruff. I remember that because rough is tough. That's what we used to say all the time. All right. Um, and I remember we were getting ready for the, the final exam in the class and a lot of our grade wrote on it. And we had to use those blue books, you know, that you, for those of you who remember that, we had the blue books and you had to have the number two pencil and write. And Dr. Ruff said, okay, the final exam is next week. Uh, I'm gonna come into class to get you started. When I walk out, you have two hours. If you're not still writing when I walk in at the end of that two hours, you fell automatically. And I was like, ooh, okay, right? And he goes to walk out. And I said, hey, Dr. Ruff, before you walk out, can I ask a question? He goes, yeah. I said, what's the question? Like, what are we writing about? And he looked and he goes, Mr. Adams, if you don't know what the question is, you've already failed the test. And I said, I know what it is, but Bill, like, <laughs> you know. Uh, he walks out and I said, what is the question? The question was this, tell me everything that happened in human history from 1500 to present go. You have two hours. And he graded you comprehensively on how you could structure your thoughts and hit the high points, okay? That's an intimidating test. That's nothing compared to this. Jesus looks and he says, hey, 12, hey, class, hey, guys, hey, friends, you've been with me for years. You got all these options. Who do you say I am? And I love the fact that Peter jumps to answer because here's the thing, how we answer this question defines everything about us. How we answer this question defines everything about us. You might say, this is the most important question with the most important answer in life. Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one we've been waiting for. Since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve first ate of the fruit and experienced separation from our father and we couldn't be right in the presence of God and we had to have a way to be made right because God was not okay with us not being okay. So he made a way for us to be right with him. Since that moment, we've been waiting for one to come who could make us right with our father. And it's you, Jesus 
And opposed to all these little stone idols, you are a son of the living God. The word there is Jehovah. You are the one true King, Savior, and Lord we've been waiting on. Man, that's the Peter we love. You get the other 11 sitting there going, I was going to say that, you know. But Peter's the one that jumps right to the page. You know, um, when you think about this, I'm so thankful the passage doesn't end right there. Because what could have happened in that moment is Jesus could have went, huh, okay. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, huh, interesting. Have you ever had one of those tests that you turn in? And as soon as you turn it in, you think, I killed it. I crushed it. By the time you get back to your dorm or your car or wherever, you think, I, I need to drop out of school and go work on one of those fishing boats in Alaska. Like I, I, I blew it. This is awful. And it's the worst to sit. I, I, I'll never forget. I struggle with algebra because letters don't have anything to do with numbers and math. It's not biblical. It's not right. Okay. And here's the thing. I, I went to my college algebra professor and I was, it was the last math class I needed to graduate. And I said, hey, I really enjoyed our, our time in class. But if I get a 70, we'll never see each other again. That's all I need is a 70, okay? Like, and I don't know what grade I got, but I passed it and I have a degree and they can't take it from me. Um, <laughs> I am so grateful Jesus grades the test right there. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, son of the living God. And look what Jesus says. Jesus replied, you are blessed. In seminary, they teach you a little bit of Greek and a little bit of Hebrew. I'm a little rusty on my Hebrew, but I think that what Jesus is saying when he says you are blessed is this, boy. There you go, Peter. Good job. You nailed it. You crushed it. Way to go. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human beings. Why was Peter blessed? Can I tell you why Peter blessed? Because true blessedness comes from the creator of your soul, revealing to your soul who he truly is. True blessedness isn't your house. It's not your wealth. It's not your health. It's not your mind. True blessedness is your soul knowing your creator because your creator revealed it to your soul. And Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you might lose everything else in your life, but no one can ever take that from you. You know who I am. I'm with you and you're with me in this life and for all eternity. As a result of this moment, Peter gets 100 on the test and he now very clearly has a new master in his life. Um, I just wanna pause for a second and just say, some of you have a pretty complicated spiritual story. You come to church and you think everybody's got this nice clean story. Like they were raised here and as a kid, they made some sort of commitment and they prayed a prayer and they got baptized and everything has been up and to the right ever since. That very rarely happens. Can I tell you what most people's story is? Is there's a moment that they are introduced to Jesus and they're curious about Jesus but they're not really fully sure how to respond to Jesus. And then the world steps in and starts competing with Jesus. And then they move back from Jesus and then they move forward and then they move back and then they this and that and that. So finally there's a point in their life where they go, it's time for me to make a decision. Peter's story is actually much more like that. You know, nowhere in the Bible is there a moment where he admits, believes, confesses. 
where he goes through the Roman road, for those of you who are raised in church. There was a moment he was fishing with his brothers and Jesus said, come and follow me. I'll make you a fisherman. And straightway, he left his nets and followed. Is that the moment he got saved? There were moments he was distributing food to people and collecting baskets and he had moments of clarity. There were moments he was walking on water, reaching out to Jesus. Is that when he got saved? I don't know. Can I tell you something? Whenever he got saved, it's happened right here. Because Jesus says, who am I? He says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus goes, you nailed it. You got it. Why? Because God has revealed it to you and you have responded to it. If you're in the room and your spiritual story is complicated, you're not alone. You're actually more normal than you might think. The question becomes, are you willing to continue to move forward and to move towards Jesus in your life? Because there has to be a moment like this, a punctuation mark in your story where you go, there was a moment, I'm not sure I knew Jesus, but there's a moment I definitely knew him. And moving forward, I follow him. If you were here for guys night, you heard Coach Barnes talk about that in his story. Complicated, grew up in church, kind of moved in and out spiritually on some things. But there was a moment when his daughter confronted him and he had a conversation with the pastor it was all nailed down. Peter's story is nailed down right here. And this morning's an opportunity for you to consider nailing down your story. So remember we started off by talking about the driving test, right? There's a, or you remember there's a moment in your life you've took a test and one of the tests that all of us have taken, whether it's the ACT or the SAT or the board exam, you took something that you were looking forward to. And I bet you, if I said it right now, you would remember the weather that day. It was the driving test. Right? You remember that? Because in that moment, somebody said, you passed. And they gave you a little license. And in an instant, you felt responsibility and freedom simultaneously given to you. Now, what I want to remind you is when you passed your driving tests, you were considered competent, not perfect. The same thing happens to us spiritually. There comes a moment when we confess Jesus, when we say, this is who you are, Jesus. And Jesus says, awesome. We belong to each other. The problem is we're not perfect after that moment. How do I know? Well, because Peter passed the test, but just a few verses later, he's same old Peter. He's the same old Peter. Jesus is gonna say, hey, Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, I'm gonna change your name from Simon to Peter. I'm gonna build my church on your confession. He goes through this whole thing. And then the very next thing that happens is Jesus says, okay, Peter, now that we're in alignment, I need you to know we're leaving here and we're going to Jerusalem and I'm gonna be arrested I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be publicly executed. Here's the problem. That wasn't part of Peter's plan. So what happened was Peter listens to Jesus's instructions and he says to him in verse 22 and 23, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. See what Peter wanted. Let me see if I can unpack what's really happened. Peter didn't want his friend to die. Peter didn't want his teacher, his mentor, his savior to die. But if his savior had not died, Peter couldn't be saved. And Jesus is saying, hey, you have earthly things in mind. You don't want to go through grief and loss on this earth. But if you don't experience on this earth, you'll miss it for eternity. What I'm doing is necessary. It's God's plan for salvation. Sheesh. I mean, Peter, that's bold. You are the Christ. You can't go and die. I oppose your plan. 
You know what it reminds me of is this. Before Jesus, we were a mess. Before Jesus, we were a mess. Guess what? We're still a mess. You're still a mess. I'm still a mess. We are limping forward with something very important in our life. It's called grace. And here's the truth. As a follower of Jesus, we never graduate from grace. Peter didn't graduate. Tim didn't graduate. You don't graduate. I don't graduate. So as we look at this, you might be thinking, man, that story about Peter is powerful. I had a real clarifying moment. The problem is since then, everything's become very blurry. And I think I have messed up my life in such a way that it's really non-fixable. And I'm messed up in a way that no one else is messed up. So I actually believe everything you're talking about right now is true. I believe that really happened for Peter. But here's the problem. It can't happen for me. That is a lie. And I want to tell you, please don't buy it or believe it. Because everyone's messed up. Just some of us can hide it better than others. Look, you may be thinking to yourself, Peter blew it. And if I were Jesus, I would put a little space between me and Peter because that's what I would do as a human. You disappoint me, I create space from you and I. But Jesus does the exact opposite. Why? Because of his grace, he never gives up on us. Jesus never gives up on us. What's the proof? The very next chapter, verse one, is this. After six days, Jesus took with him who? Peter. The very next day, six days later, the very next thing we read in the Bible, after Peter said, you're the Christ, and then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Blew it, screwed up, missed the mark, totally, not even on paper, missed the target completely. Jesus says, hey, I want you to see something important. Six days later, it says he took Peter, and who else did he take? He took James and John, his brother, and he led him up a mountain to a moment called the Transfiguration. It's maybe the most important moment in the New Testament. It's the few moments on this earth when Jesus became here, what he will be for eternity, and Peter got to see it. And his name's mentioned first. You know why? Because the author wants to make sure you see no matter what you've done, you can't outdo God's grace. No matter how bad you think you've blown it, Jesus can cover it. So what is grace? Well, grace is something that you experience for the first time when you confess Jesus. And it's something you experience a million times after that. You see, it's the same grace that God used to save you that he uses to keep you. For those of you who uh, I've got, I had the privilege of being around, um, you may have heard me say it this, in the, this way in the past. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. So we need to be people who give grace. So what do you do with this? Like, so what, now what? M my goal isn't that you leave here and go back home or to dinner and you say, well, I never knew there was a cave dedicated to Pan. And I never knew that Caesarea Philippi had this really mixed up religious views there. I didn't, I didn't know all that. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point of the text is that you can answer two questions. And here's the first one. Have you had this moment? Have you had this moment when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And you've responded. We all have to have had that moment in our life. And here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing you're not choosing between Jesus and some little goat man God called Pan. 
And you probably don't have some sort of stone idol in your pocket right now. You're struggling to choose between it and Jesus. You're probably just like me. The thing you're struggling to choose is between Jesus and the person who looks back at you in the mirror. Between his ways or your ways in your life. And can I tell you what you have to do is you have to have a moment where you say, I trust in you and you alone, Jesus. And when you see that, I want to point out something very important about this question. This is actually less of a question and much more of an invitation. Jesus is actually saying, who do you say? Choose me because I already want you. That's why I asked you the question. So if you're in the room right now and you feel this intensity in your soul of like, man, I feel like that's coming right at me. That question is meant for me. It's because Jesus has already decided he wants you. And he's asking you, do you want him? It's actually not a question. It's an invitation. Some of us need to make that decision. At the end of our service, at the end of our time together, we'll have some people in this room to my left. We'd love to talk to you. Talk to one of our staff in the hallway. We'd love to help you nail that down. Look, you may be thinking, but I've blown it. Peter blew it. Jesus covered it. If he did it for him, he'll do it for you. Here's the second question that I need you to think about and go home with. Not only have you had this moment, but are you letting Jesus be your master? The fight in your life might not be because it's Jesus or not Jesus. It might be because it's Jesus or something else that's trying to wrestle away control. Have you ever had a moment when you said, Jesus, I want you to be my savior, but here's the deal. I kind of like being my own Lord because he's not interested in that. Jesus doesn't share you with you. Jesus wants all of you. He died for all of you. He died to make you completely his and him completely yours. The thing that's at risk and that's at balance of the question of, is Jesus your master is this? Do you trust him? Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Are you willing to trust Jesus when your religious beliefs come in conflict with your relational beliefs? Do you trust Jesus when following in his path means you can't stay with your plan? Do you follow Jesus when he says, I need you to lay down your desires because they're not matching my design for your life? Do you trust him? In this moment, those are the two questions I want to leave you with. Have you had the moment? And do you trust him? Because how you answer those questions will shape not just the rest of your day, the rest of your week, it'll shape the rest of your life and your eternity. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. God, we thank you for the example of how much you love Peter, even when he had such a disastrous moment in his life. Thank you that your grace is deeper than all the sin. Lord, if there's anyone that needs that moment, would they just move today and respond to you? God, for those of us, we've had that moment, but the problem is our plan and your path are coming in conflict. Your design and my desire are not cooperating. God, would you give us the courage and the willingness to step away from ourselves and to step towards you right now. God, we love you and we'd ask that you do this in your name, Jesus. Amen.